welcome back to the What The Fork Sunderland Preview Podcast. Pre-warning, this podcast is recorded before Sunderland's game against Sheffield United on Wednesday. So hopefully we haven't been stuffed live on Sky and you can enjoy this preview podcast with your morning or afternoon coffee and a positive midweek performance. However, regardless of Wednesday night's result, Alex Neal's side are going to continue on the road this weekend as we visit the Bet365 Stadium at could have sworn it was called the Britannia last time we went there, as we take on Michael O'Neill's Stoke City. Um, rather surprisingly, it's actually almost been six years since we last visited Stoke, which I can't quite believe. Um, but anyway, that has been a while, so to give us the lowdown on what it's what it's like at Stoke at the moment and what's happened since we last played is David from the excellently titled Stoke City podcast, Wizards of Drivel. David, how are you, mate? You okay? I'm very well, thank you. We'll start straight from the top, David. I think, you know, before I do, I think really randomly this fact occurred to me today that every team we've played in the last three championship games have actually played Middlesbrough in their previous fixture so I don't know what the hell all that's about um <laughs> but as it is we're also talking before your midweek game against Borough so we can't even discuss the game so it's a random pointless fact um your most recent game is a weekend trip to Huddersfield Town a 3-1 defeat at John Smith Stadium how was the performance uh not great um Huddersfield fans before the game were all like coming up talking to us say oh you're going to batter us today you're going to batter us today and uh sure enough stoke city registered charity 1863 roll into town and uh yeah uh completely shoot ourselves in the foot it wasn't so much that the performance was bad it was the just mistakes at the back just kind of uh obliterated any chance of us coming out of there we missed a penalty uh in the first half and you feel like oh if we'd gone one nil up there their bad form would have meant they would have crumbled. We had a goal disallowed for offside, and then pretty much from that uh, free kick, they go the other end. We pass the ball into them, uh, and they make it two one, and we've can kind of completely imploded, which is really frustrating considering. You know there was a bit of optimism going into it. We'd won our first game of the season against Blackpool, and it was yeah. It was one of those really kind of foul atmospheres in the way, away end at that point. And you kind of just, you, you're kind of glad for the championship being like, right, you've got another game in three, four days to kind of sort things out. But yeah, certainly not a nice experience. It's an odd one as well, because obviously I watched highlights on, I was going to say Quest but it's ITV now, isn't it? Looking at the stats though, because outside of that, you know, you, you can only look at highlights and stats. Not, not all of us can watch the full 90 minutes of every game, but statistics, more shots, more possession better passing accuracy, but less goals. Is that a symptom of like a wider problem at Stoke? Um, potentially. I mean, I think the, the kind of unfortunate thing for us against Huddersfield was that the really high quality chances fell to Ben Wilmot, who's a centre-half rather than Dwight Gale or Jake, uh, Jacob Brown. And yeah, we created enough stuff in the game to have won it and we certainly passed the ball very well in possession now our problem has been in previous seasons we've not been created enough to create the chances anyway and I am slightly encouraged by the fact we seem to be creating a bit more in the way of chances than we did last season uh, it's just that we want them to fall to Dwight Gale we don't want them to fall to a random centre half um, look I, I think it is one of those games that on reflection it's probably just bad game uh, Day at the office kind of thing rather than like a complete disaster and you know a portent of doom but it is still frustrating considering Huddersfield are really quite terrible and we kind of made them look a lot better than they were um 
it'll be interesting to see like it now we're at home uh our only points have come at home this season like are we going to be really front foot positive and and just have faith in uh our own abilities and create those chances for our strikers so that's what i'm kind of looking forward to about this week with two home games coming up it's quite interesting you mentioned about the, the home games coming up. Obviously, we're, we're speaking before the Borough game, so we don't know what the outcome of that is. But I think either way, there's obviously going to be a lot of emphasis on the game for, for yourselves against ourselves. When you be promoted, it's a game probably looking at the start of the season that you've had. They've just one win, two defeats and a cup exit on penalties at Morecambe. And no, no one really cares about the first round of the League Cup these days because of the... The difficulties of, of the league, so I know that it was a weakened squad, but I suppose there's no such thing as a must-win game this early. I don't think that would be probably an over-exaggeration, but it becomes an important game, doesn't it, considering like the start you've had? Yeah, and yeah, I agree there's no must-win games, but I think uh, given the context of the last, I don't know, two seasons under Michael O'Neill, there's a lot of dissenting voices now and a lot of criticism that's going to come his way, so... It, it's like almost like in spite of the fact we were kind of the more creative side against Huddersfield, he'll get criticism for being too negative, playing three at the back. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of, you can only really get out of this with results. It doesn't, it, I think people make a lot of a big deal about kind of, you know, attacking football philosophies or the rest of it. If we won every game in a scrappy one nil, people wouldn't be bothered. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say it, what this week is important is just kind of allaying fears about, whether Michael O'Neill can like produce uh, results consistently. Because if we, God forbid, lost these two games in a week, then all of a sudden we've won one in five, we've lost four in five, and then it's like, oh, I think the uh, board might get a bit twitchy. It's interesting you mentioned about the style of football there, because like I said before, I can't quite believe it's been six years. That feels like about 20 years ago nowadays, but a lot has happened. Um, but when I think about Stoke as a team, because it's been so long since we've played here, you do think of almost the Rory Delapias, which has obviously massively changed. And I sort of also remember the period of time where Mark Hughes came in and, and tried to sort of change it a little bit and look a bit fancier, a little bit nicer on the eye. And effectively, if you look at the basics alone, that was maybe the start of Stoke City's downfall, quote unquote, if a Sunderland fan can say such a thing. Um what is the Stoke City we're going to be facing? Like, is it back to the the old school Stoke? Is it something completely different? Are you now possession based side? Um, certainly, we 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 should be, and we are trying to be a bit more possession based. Like, um, my frustration sometimes is we will not back our own abilities and kind of resort to hoofing it, even though we're not built for that. So when you think of perhaps old Stoke sides, you, you picture like a, a big hulking centre-forward bringing the ball down like um, a Peter Crouch, Kenwin Jones, uh, John Carew, you know, a, a unit like that. Whereas now, Dwight Gale, Jacob Brown, Ty- Tyrese Campbell, they're all, I think they're all possibly just over six foot, but they're, they're not target men. And uh, we have mostly been reliant on our wing backs to produce uh low crosses into the box for them and occasionally uh likes of Lewis Baker in midfield well small bonus on loan from Southampton they can break forward and uh kind of create stuff from the edge of the area so we are a lot more on the deck than you, you know your stereotypical image of a Stoke side uh which is nice but yeah the frustration is sometimes like if we're losing if we're sort of up against it will we just kind of lump it forward and just hope that someone does something because that's a, a kind of a bit of a concern 
Like we have, we've got really good footballers in there. Baker, who I mentioned, Josh Timon at left wing back's a really uh, tidy footballer, and um, Tyrese Campbell on his day can be fantastic as well. But it, it's just um, if we can kind of keep the momentum of the first few games, not in terms of like shooting ourselves in the foot defensively, but just kind of attacking on the front foot working the ball into the box, working the ball out to the wing-backs and just kind of keep that going, then we should be okay this season. You mentioned Kenwin Jones, my heart skipped a beat. I do miss you, Kenwin. It's still early doors in this season, so I suppose in a sense when you're doing like preview shows, it's really difficult to be like, well, how's the mood? Because it's very reactive at the start of the season. You want to win all your games, but then it doesn't mean you win the league. If you lose them all, you could still win the league or you could just go down and never win a game ever again. It's that kind of start of the season, but I think we'll delve back into last season a little bit to get more of an overview if possible. A 14th place finish. Since Stoke have gone down, they haven't really troubled the playoff spots, which is a shame considering how long you, you were in there. Um, you didn't go straight through the league like us, so it could be worse. Um, but there's been no danger of relegation, really. No real push for promotion. How was the feeling towards like the back end of last campaign or maybe when the season ended between the fan base? Um, fr- frustration generally. Uh, I think... Like Mike O'Neill, as I mentioned, he's had quite a bit of criticism because we are always waiting for the push on. Are we going to push on from mid-table to be in a playoff contending side? And whilst it is frustrating that at the time of recording, he doesn't seem to be able to have achieved that yet. What is What it's more a consequence of is financial fair play and, you, you know, the sort of analogy of a guy sort of shoveling water off his boat like he's got a bucket and he's desperately trying to get the water uh, off the boat fast you know but he's slower than the water coming in so that's what it's felt like over the past five or six years we've been trying to get rid of you know hangers on from the Premier League or the first season of the Championship kind of days and we've been replacing them with uh, lesser and less expensive players and you know in some cases, that's worked out. We've signed better players. In some cases, we're still we're still trying to find an answer for like an age old problem, despite huge amounts of squad turnover. Like there are still players on the books, like Peter Atebo, who we signed first season. We came down, so like he was a star of the twenty eighteen World Cup, and then like he, but he's still bizarrely on our books. I think he was on loan at Watford last season. Players like Tommy Smith, Joe Allen, who. Uh, well, Joe Allen was there in the Premier League, of course, but Joe Allen was on some kind of 50 grand a week wages. And so we're kind of fighting an uphill battle on the transfer front. So I do have a kind of a lot of sympathy for O'Neill in that regard. It is really annoying that, like you say, we've just kind of middled around these same positions in the league. But there are cir- circumstances that um, beyond that that make it kind of more difficult for O'Neill. Like, the the reason we're in this position is because we went down appointing Paul Lambert with 10 games to go for God knows what reason. Uh, and then g- getting Gary Rowett in and rather than having a transfer strategy, we had a policy of, oh, I've heard of him. Let's pay £10 million for him. Uh, and so we get James McLean, Tom Ince, uh, Benekafobi, and a few other complete duffers for like huge wages, huge amounts of money. And then it's like, oh, oh, these aren't very good. And then (laughs) Rowett inevitably goes, Nathan Jones comes in. He's got a little bit less money than Rowett. He can't do anything. And then we, we 
sort of invoked the dreaded Sunderland word, uh, sort of 10 games into Jones's first season in charge, first full season in charge, because we'd won two. Well, I think, no, I don't think we won our opening 10 games and we won two in opening 14. And then it looked like, oh, sh- bugger, we're going down here. So Neil came in, kept us up and has sort of established us in mid-table whilst it's kind of ridiculous that we are probably one of the richest teams in the league in terms of ownership. And yet we are really hamstrung by financial fair play, which includes our own mistakes from four or five years ago. So we've just had this kind of four-year hangover, essentially. It's quite a funny one with O'Neill because, and again, this is the beauty of doing these pods, I suppose it educates me as well, but from the outside looking in, he's actually been there longer than most managers are in the championship mm. because managers last like five games these days, it seems. I'm more of exaggerating slightly, but you know where I'm coming from. He's been there since November 2019, kept you up first season. I do remember Nathan Jones going to, to Stoke and you struggling really badly and then going back to Luton and seemingly doing quite well. Um, mm. As it is, though, O'Neill's kind of, like I said before, you've kind of just middled around that middle of the championship and done effectively in the nicest possible way. Nout, nothing too mm. dangerous, nothing too exciting. Is that because he is so hamstrung, or is he viewed in? You mentioned dissenting voices before, so people starting to wonder if he's the right man. Or yeah, I mean, they got booed off at half time at Huddersfield, uh, which I don't know. Football fans are fickle, so maybe won't be too much into that. But there's, I would say, there's a lot of um, people who are ready for change now. Our board have kind of got a reputation for not being trigger happy and like sticking by managers, which is, I suppose, a good thing uh, overall. Um, but I don't see them getting rid of O'Neill unless we're like really in a relegation scrap. And I think that might be the uh, the kind of thinking there that they seem relatively content with kind of where we are now and like kind of getting rid of this five-year hangover and then hopefully kind of gradually building our way back up. Um, yeah, they're, certainly at the ground, there seems to be a real kind of undercurrent, which isn't like everyone's screaming for the manager's manager's head straight away, but it's almost like, you know, the minute there's like a pass back that seems a bit unnecessary or someone plays the ball out of play, there's like groans instantly. And it's like, uh, bitterness. It's it's sort of what I associate with like an Everton crowd, Um, you know, sort of like really kind of um, tetchy. And that's how it's felt for the last two or three seasons. Well, obviously not the COVID season. COVID season, we actually started really all right. And I started to wonder, oh God, is it our fault? Um, but yeah, um, it's it's felt really sort of, we are like, I don't know, say if we lost to Port Vale in the cup, we, we, you know, with that kind of result away from like, you know, rioting or whatever. But yeah, it's not been, it's not been pleasant. Um, you just want, a, you kind of want a boring game these days days because it stops people getting too kind of hyper emotional that I think <laughs> I think um the nature of the championship's a nasty shock to some people still it was like yeah you could you could lose easy as anything we we got that shock quite quickly and sadly we all documented it on a Netflix TV show um mm. so we know that similar pain um thankfully we haven't tasted it as yet at the time of speaking um it's always really fun to look back at former players on either side you mentioned we've mentioned Kenwin Jones and I thought there's bound to be some that are still there because there was a point where we sold all of our players to you they did better than us or we did better than what they did with something should I say sorry and inevitably you finished above us alas I can only really pick two and one of them's not even there anymore but I do have to mention him. Um, he's someone that we liked quite a lot 
and unfortunately his departure, touching on the Netflix documentary, was a big reason in us not going back up to the championship in first season, in my opinion. Uh, Josh Madger, obviously you had him on loan last year. He hasn't mm. come back. I've seen that he was linked. Um, we really tipped him to, to do really well when he left the club, but he's he's stagnated somewhat. How did he perform for Stoke? Yeah, see, I quite like Josh Madger, but I think he was a kind of maybe a consequence of that kind of phenomenon I was talking about earlier where if we're kind of up against it, we kind of lump it forward and quite liked him. He seemed a very tidy footballer. I think he got one or two goals for him. Oh, just the one. Um, and yeah, he just, he was just one of those that just never really clicked for us. But that could apply to, uh, God knows how many players we've signed since we've gone down. That could apply to 30, 40 players who have ability, but just don't really work in our team for one reason. And it's like, quite unforgiving in that it's like, oh, loan spell didn't really catch fire. So, right, okay, we'll try something else and we'll try something else and we'll try something else rather than maybe sign him and try to develop him further or, or get that play that we're, we, we'd obviously seen seen bits of him at Sunderland and, and seen um, that he was doing okay at Bordeaux, I guess. Um, but yeah, that, that you know, there's so many players that when we sign, you think, oh, that's that's quite exciting. You know, it kind of youngish uh, well, yeah, young forward player, and and uh, it's like, oh, well, it, it, you know, it could be the fault that, uh, you know, all forty of these players we've signed are individually quite bad, or it could be there's something wrong with the way we're using these players, um, and it's definitely more the latter, I think. On the flip side, I was thinking of players that we took from Stoke recently, and it didn't take me that long to go down my squad list. When I, of course, remember that we took Danny Bart from last from me last year, um. He played a big role in us getting promoted. He, he actually came in, had a, a fantastic debut, then scored a wonderful diving header on goal uh, as we lost 6-0 against Bolton. That was the end of Lee Johnson. Alex Neal took over. The rest is history. But I vaguely remember, as you do on Twitter, which I always say Twitter's not a barometer, yet I always look at it. If we sign someone to see what the, the opposition fans' reactions are like. And I vaguely remember Stoke fans weren't too pleased about, I was going to say sale, but I think it was a free transfer. Um, what are Stoke's memories of Danny Barton and how what kind of esteem is he held in? I, I really like Danny Bart. Um, I think he he filled a role for us as being like um, so I think when he came in, it was like Ryan Shawcross was leaving or sort of retiring or he was perpetually injured. And he fulfilled that kind of old-fashioned centre-back kind of role. Very, very unflashy, very, very sort of, he will knock it into the stands if he's under any kind of pressure whatsoever. Um, and, you know, a, a, a decent uh, threat from set pieces as well. And, um, yeah, I, I've got no issue with Danny Bart at all. There was occasionally moments, perhaps towards the end of his time at Stoke, where... Uh, you know, a, a pacey striker or two would would roast him if it was like a sort of one on one scenario, and th- and that was a thing. Like you try to um, reduce those scenarios as often as possible because he's just going to get done for pace because he he's kind of uh, well, he's he's just a big unit and, he, and he's you know push it well other side of thirty and you know that's going to happen. But yeah, I I thought he was a really good professional. I would you wouldn't have had him down as like them being any problems with him he was just kind of maybe a, a, a Tony Pulis uh, would have absolutely loved a player like Danny Bart because he was just kind of old school and and did his job with kind of a minimum amount of fuss so yeah well when, I, I'm trying to think when he went like who would we have had at the back I think probably James Chester who uh, none of us really liked would was uh, was still there as well so there was maybe a bit of oh we're getting rid of like someone who's 
fairly dependable. And uh, I'm trying to think who we were bringing in now. We, we were bringing in Harry Souter, who is much more of, I think, the complete package as a centre-half. Who's, he's, he's incredible. He's six foot eight, uh, Australian international, and can play a ball out really well. Very good distribution as well as being an absolute unit as well. So um, I think it was the right time for him to go. And clearly, you know, he he made the right decision, you know, being part of your promotion team and all the rest of it. So, yeah, uh, I think Danny Barr, um, uh, someone we liked and certainly one of the, uh, the better signings we made once we came down. Yeah, I think we quite liked Danny Barr as well. He got... Got sort of dropped when Alex Neal came in. I was, I know he was injured. Tell why he was injured. But since he's came back in, he's never, never really moved. And he started this season as well. Our defense hasn't looked tremendous this season. But I'm not going to put that down, <laughs> down to Danny Bart. Um, so I think we're quite happy with him. But I was looking at your your transfer window this summer. Now, in League One, I'm used to like just a turnover of players coming in on free transfers, loan deals. Ten of them to fifteen go out. Ten or fifteen come back in. Minimum eight. And um, in the championship, it's been a bit different. It's been one or two players here or there, but Stoke have been really active. Uh, like you said, a huge turnover once again. Um, I was going to list them all, but I thought I'd just go with the three that I recognised most. You've brought in Aidan Flint, Josh Laurent, and Dwight Gale. Um, I can't remember where Aidan Flint came from. I think Cardiff. Obviously, Laurent came from yeah. Redden, and Dwight Gale's come from them lot. Um, but there's been another nine or ten players that's come with it. Which of the new signings have made the biggest impact so far, be that positive or even negative? Well, well, negatively, I think the uh, the highlights of the uh, Huddersfield game will, sh- will not show Aidan Flint in a very good light at all. I mean, there were some doubts when he signed, like, oh, he's you know he's one of those defenders who's again wrong side of thirty and just seems a bit slow and cumbersome. And certainly, what the evidence so far seems to suggest, he is that as well. So there's big, big question marks about Aidan Flint. Uh, Josh Lawrence, a good, uh, good player. Um, but again, we just have this stokeitis thing of, you know, they might be a good player, but they're going to be crap because they're, they're playing for us now. And uh, nothing kind of has that vibe more than Dwight Gale. I just want Gale to get chances because he's a kind of six-yard box kind of player. Oh, um, I think in terms of signings that's made the most positive impact, I would say it's probably Harry Clark, who scored against Blackpool, a kind of front foot uh, wing back on loan from Arsenal. Uh, he did a Ronaldo celebration, which has kind of turned me against him slightly. But other than that, seems seems quite a good player. Um, yeah, they they seem they seem to be okay signings, but uh, we just need a a few more games uh, for them to really click. Oh, um, Will Smallbone actually, I think I mentioned him earlier. Uh, we've signed him to kind of uh, be a temporary Nick Powell replacement because Nick Powell made of biscuits injured uh but he seems quite a tidy number 10 kind of player and uh hopefully he can progress as well it's funny you mentioned nick powell there i can't exactly remember what it was but he was once fined i think at wigan i seen like the fines wall or something from like years ago and he was fined oh. for <clears throat> abusing someone and the abuse was quite funny <laughs> not like physical abuse i think calling a player a name in, in a banter-esque to quote alan partridge way um and i can't quite remember what it was that he said but it was hilarious i must find it one player that i I kind of didn't touch on before. And the same happened last <laughs> so, week. So, Did you find so it? So I, I found it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the um, yeah thing went viral. This didn't it? But it says um, there's so there's player uh, like wind dust, you know, uh, hot packs. Someone no GPS. Someone uh, this this and this. Powell disres- uh, player Powell reason disrespect amount twenty pounds and underneath disrespect it says I told your mom. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> that's kind of worth the £20 fine, to be fair to him. Talking about former players, I forgot about this last week when we spoke to QPR. It's weird, these shows are kind of aligning one into another because you all play Middlesbrough beforehand and you all have Jack Clark on loan um, previously before we signed him. Um, Jack's really early in his career with Sunderland. He's really early in his career in, in general, but he came really good for Sunderland during the playoffs and he's he's had a really good start of the season. Um, was probably our best player on the pitch on the opening day of the season and had a really good game at Bristol City. Actually, probably a better game against Bristol City. He's done really well for us, but QPR had him on loan, Hughes had him on loan, and he didn't really do too much from what I can remember. And I think that was probably one of the things that Sunderland fans saw when we first got him and went, we hadn't done too much when he's been on loan there, despite the fact he did quite well at Leeds. How was he viewed at Stoke during his loan move? Um, it was one of those kind of, uh, again, like... it. In amongst all the squad churn, you 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 can kind of forget about players like Harry Clark. To be honest with you, I think he played about ten or so games in. Might have even been the COVID season, and I think with players in that COVID season, there's a kind of sense of oh, it doesn't really count because we can't remember any of the games because we weren't there for any of them. So I think he signed along with Robbie Matondo, uh, another winger. Uh, I think Matondo made slightly more of an impact, but neither of them really kind of forced their way into kind of first team contention. It wasn't so much that I saw anything bad from Clark. It was just that I didn't see anything kind of spectacular from him either. And so if he's on loan and you you kind of have to really kind of make a mark in that sense. So he he was fine. I don't think Michael O'Neill was happy with fine, to be honest. And like it was, you know, I think, when he went back, it was a kind of sense of, yep, tried that, didn't didn't work. We'll try six more wingers before uh, next season kind of thing and just hope that some of them work. Keep you on while I said the same. I'm pleased to see that we were the beneficiaries eventually. No offence. Um, I think, you know, like I said before, with Sunderland, we used to play each other regularly, Sunderland and Stoke. It was a, a regular game. Always ding-dong. I remember getting beat 3-2 with two goals in the last eight minutes. I think it was John Carew. Um, uh, we've touched on the Charlie Adam game. We've, there's been a, I remember a game at the Stadium Light where I think Steve Marbronk missed a penalty and Kenwin ended up getting two. Obviously, Kenwin then went to you. There's there's plenty of things that kind of align us, but I think one thing that I've pointed out as well is we haven't played each other for ages, and I think the views, uh, the view of each other's teams, probably vastly different to what it used to be. But from what you've seen of Sunderland recently, what are the players that concern you going into the game on Saturday that you think could damage you? Well, Jack Clark obviously concerns me because he used to play for us and it's just kind of inevitable. Um, I've I've been kind of keeping an eye on Sunderland because um, one of my mates is a Sunderland fan. I'm, I'm going to watch your game at Bramall Lane, uh, as a matter of fact. So um, clearly you guys have had no real issues scoring goals this season, which uh, it's bodes quite well. Uh, in a Patrick Roberts, obviously very, very good player. Even when you're in the doldrums of League One, there was always players I recognised uh, in Sunderland, like Ada McGeady, who, God, how old is Ada McGeady now? Because he feels like he's been around uh, forever. Um, Ellis Sims is... Six? Th- 36 with Sims and Roberts, and uh, there'll be someone else who I've completely forgotten for you up front as well. But um, Ross Stewart, clearly... How, how dare you forget Ross Stewart? Ross Stewart, yes, <laughs> Ross Stewart. My, my apologies. Um... <laughs> And yeah, so that that's what worries me from a kind of Stoke point of view is, uh, you know, your, your forward plays are they going to, you know, have a bit of a field day? Because you've clearly got some good players as well. Like 
Um, I saw you guys play last season at Hillsborough, where not your playoff semi final, but your oh god, three nil midweek league defeat. And thought, well, you're you guys clearly aren't very good but there was just something not quite right there but I could work out what it was because I thought individually your players seemed quite good but it maybe was just one of those terrible days for you um like Luke 9 Lyndon Gooch possibly yep. was playing Pritchard or have you signed Pritchard? Playing. yeah yeah um and they seem like all quite tidy footballers but I think they maybe just seemed just terrified so yeah that that kind of a kind of attacking prowess that you've uh, demonstrated already this season has me a bit concerned. Now, conversely, like if you're conceding goals to goalkeepers, then I think, oh, actually, we we could maybe uh, exploit that. So, um, especially if Danny Bart is playing, and like as I said before, he's a kind of no nonsense player. But if we play Jacob Brown and Terrence Campbell up against him, I'm I'm a bit uh, confident with that. So. Um, uh, yeah, so I think it could be potentially a high-scoring game, but whenever I say that, it's always shit. To be fair, they've all been relatively high-scoring for us thus far. This is prior to the Sheffield United game, as you, you know as well. This is a question I, I kind of don't ask enough, and I really, really should on these preview shows. Um, it's really hard sometimes to find a good bar to get a pint where away fans are allowed. I've been to Stoke mm. before. I'm aware that not all of them allow them in. But where would be the best place for away fans that to grab a pint if they want to and they're the listening on the way to the stadium as we speak? Uh, right. Uh, so what happens a lot with away fans, if you're arriving on the train, you, t- you tend to get funneled out and like shepherded towards these shuttle buses to the ground, which is a bit crap, I think. And also a bit crap is the fact the ground's location is quite some distance away from most of the city. Uh, so you've got a Harvester and a Power League near the ground. I think both of them welcome away fans. I don't think there's any problem with them, but they're a bit, you know, they are what they are as pubs, you know. Um, there's some nice places in Stoke. Like So Stoke, Stoke-on-Trent is weird. There's the town of Stoke within the city of Stoke-on-Trent. That is the place where you get off the train at if you're coming by a train. Um, so there is uh, a place called the Glebe on Glebe Street in Stoke. It's near the Stoke Minster Church. And there is one which is a Titanic pub called Ah, uh, it's completely it's completely gone. But there's a there's a Titanic uh pub further into Stoke as well, which is really nice. There is also, and you may have to be a bit sneaky about this, there's a what's called a bod bar um in Stoke on Trent Station. Now the Titanic Brewery have these like they're they're quite nice quite small little pubs um and it's it's all titanic ales and if if you're into your ales you you, you'll probably find something there to enjoy um but they are funny about football fans being in so if you maybe sort of cover up your football shirt restrict restrict your accent as much as possible you you should be fine to sneak a a couple in there Uh, but that's that applies to stoke fans as well they're very funny about football fans in general going into a, a pub in the train station which I guess is understandable. So um, town of Stoke, uh, there is Hanley as well, which is kind of the the city centre, I suppose. But I think you kind of, it's going to be a, a real faff to go there and then go back to the stadium. So yeah, th- those would be the places I would recommend um, or, or not recommend in the case of uh, 
Hanley. Um, yeah, if you if you've if you've made it to Burslem, you've gone too far and turn around. <laughs> I'll take the last bit of advice, especially. Um, I have got no score predictions right so far, but we always end it on the score predictions. I think someone at one point is going to realise that I know nothing about what I'm talking about. Hence, I get so many predictions wrong. But um, I quite fancy a draw. I fancy a 1-1, kind of a bit of a drab game. I'm going, so I hope we don't get beat. Um, it's my first away of the season, Sands pre-season in Portugal, which got abandoned at half-time. I'll say 1-1. I think Stoke might score first. I think we might pull it back late, a little bit like the Jermaine Defoe game, I think, a few years ago, where we scored very, very late on. Um, so I'll take 1-1, but David, where are you going for Saturday's game? Um, it's my first home game of the season. I um, just kind of, I'm kind of dreading it, but what I will do <laughs> is um, I'll make a different prediction to one I'll make on uh, Wizards of Drivel, and I will make a different prediction to the one I'll make on my betting app. And then on one of these platforms, I will appear like a genius. So I'm going to say Stoke are going to win 2 0. Okay. I'll not take that, but nonetheless, it is a very much a Stoke away result for something from my memory. Um, David, I think people recently have been saying a lot of people really enjoy sort of listening back to the opposition podcast, their review shows rather than mine, which I don't know what that means, but nonetheless, I understand why. Um, if they wanted to listen to obviously your reaction to the game rather than mine or a Sunderland fan's reaction, where can they find the, the podcast? Yeah, so we usually record and release on a Sunday night. So if you want to hear our misery or kind of, um, you know, see what we made of your team, there's a chance that we could completely gloss over, if we win, that we'll completely gloss over Sunderland as well and just kind of, you know, have a huge bout of self-congratulation. But uh, regardless, uh, it's at Wizards of Drivel on Twitter and the podcast is out on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. And if you just search Wizards of Drivel in pretty much anywhere where you get podcasts from, then we should be there. Awesome. David, thanks very much for popping on. Always good to catch up. You've, you give me a good laugh. I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, considering we're going to be talking about serious football, but nonetheless, hopefully the listeners have enjoyed it as well. Um, for anyone listening, like, share, subscribe if you want. If you don't, I don't care. That's completely fine. Just enjoy your weekend. Um, and how are you the lads, I guess? Mm-hmm.